Welcome to Mind and Soul Matters. We're delighted to share with you again another special presentation from a live forum. It is part of a series of live talks organized in collaboration between Mind and Soul Matters and Melville Baha'i Community to discuss issues around mental health in our society. I will leave the introduction of our presenter to Dr. Dina Ashurian, MC of the forum. Enjoy this very interesting and informative presentation. My name is uh, Dina Ashurian, and I'll be your MC for this afternoon. I'd like to start with some acknowledgments. So I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting today, the Wajak Nunga people and their families, and recognize their continuing connection to land, sea, and community. I'd also like to acknowledge the Melville Baha'i community for hosting today's forum at the Baha'i Center. Today is the sixth in a series of mental health and well-being forums where we will explore relevant topics with the help of expert panel members. Baha'i communities all over the world are working to engage in social discourses on topics that are impacting our communities and society at large. Today's forum has a focus on the theme of WA Mental Health Week. The theme is Mind, Body, Environment. There is an intricate interplay between these three elements that plays a profound role in shaping an individual's mental health. The mind, where our thoughts, emotions, and perceptions originate from, exerts a powerful influence on mental well-being. The body, with its complex physiological processes, further reinforces this connection. Our physical health is directly linked with emotional states. Equally important is the environment we're surrounded by, our social interactions, our living conditions, and external stressors. Recognizing the synergy between these elements is essential for cultivating mental wellness. And that sort of leads to the next speaker, Dr. Katie Carter. Katie Carter has 25 years of experience in social work practice, policy development, clinical leadership, research, and teaching. She draws together an interest in everyday experiences of human rights, as well as the impacts of trauma on individuals and communities. Her interest in mental well-being is steeped in social justice, community, and nonviolence. Katie's experience has been developed in three continents, as well as in rural and regional communities across Australia. I'll now pass the stage to Katie. Thank you. Thank you. I think I almost thought you were introducing someone else, Dina, when you said 25 years experience. I realize I'm growing up. What drew me to understanding mental health was experiences of my childhood and of what I saw around me. And this has shaped and intrigued and kept me quite curious. So I grew up in a rural community in Queensland and gender, inequity, race, social disadvantage seemed quite obvious to me when I looked around. I was noticing things in my community that perhaps weren't particularly spoken about and definitely not in the words that I'm using today at that time. 
and I was both confronted and confused, but also interested and wanted to understand more about this. So my kind of formative understandings of what I call mental health have been through a lens of human rights. So I was interested in what makes us human? Why are there these differences? And why, when I dare talk about them, do people get really nervous or angry? So social work was for me. But I'd also like to just really briefly touch on perhaps what I mean when I talk about mental health. It's this big, broad umbrella term that we use all the time. And I think there are many of us, at least 7 billion in the world now, maybe more, I haven't Googled for a while, but that could mean that there might be at least 7 billion experiences, expressions of this unique phenomena. So I don't necessarily talk about a disorder or a diagnosis or an illness. And I'd like to, I suppose, broaden this out to talking a little bit about mental distress. And I'd like to acknowledge that for some people, this will take the form of fairly severe or chronic episodes across a lifetime. And that there are these individual expressions of this. But what joins us is that we all have this expression of perhaps working towards what might be our best, our best self, our optimal mental health, towards flourishing. And I think many, you know, many of us will have different words for this. And I suppose that's important to me because it's not something that we live with or without. It's an experience of being human. And it perhaps joins us more than it separates us, possibly. So I came to understand the terms social determinants of mental health through a human rights lens. But there were, you know, much better and more qualified researchers than me that went around and did a lot of this formative work. One of them was Australian called Michael Marmot, who went to the UK and looked at the British civil service. And what he noticed was that people who were, you know, if we talk in hierarchies at the bottom rung of the civil service, their health outcomes were much, much lower than those who are at the top of the British civil service. And he was interested in this. What was this about? What did they have access to? What were the resources that that group of people had that meant that their health and their mental health outcomes were so much greater or poorer depending on where they sat in their society? And he touched on self-determination as being critical, as being pivotal, being able to make decisions for ourselves in the context of a, a free, equitable society. Many of you will have heard around the Close the Gap campaign in Australia, which touches on um, the inequity that Aboriginal people face in terms of health and mental health outcomes. And this has been a hard, long, slow campaign to close this gap so that different groups of people can access the same health care than those who don't. And you know, growing up regionally and rurally and working remotely in Australia, this is very obvious that accessing health services and mental health services will be impacted by virtue of where we grew up. But not just where we grew up, where we were born, where we grew up, where we live, where we work and where we age. And these five things might be, the, I suppose, the basis and that dialogue around our social determinants. So this is a really broad, population-based approach to thinking about the environment within which, the communities within which we live, and the society within that we're living in right now. 
World Health Organization talks about some of the social determinants being our income and level of social protection, our education level, our employment and job security, our food security or insecurity, housing basic amenities and the environment, our early childhood development, structural conflict, including violence, domestic violence and all forms of oppression, and our access to affordable health services and decent quality health services. So when we're talking about the social determinants, when we're talking about health and mental health equality, it is these social structures that we're referring to. And while they're not at the pointy end kind of cure, I suppose, or ameliorating mental distress if we're experiencing it, it can give us a pointer towards these drivers, drivers that mean for some of us accessing support services will be incredibly difficult, if not impossible. It will mean that our trauma load over many, many years will be cumulative because we will have grown up in poverty and we will have experienced the ingrained, constant battle that it is to survive when we live within poverty. So this framework gives us something a little broader and to, to conceptualise our mental health within, possibly. But also, when we talk really broadly about social determinants, also points us, or, or the environment. You know, if I'm working one-to-one -one with someone, if someone came to see me as a social worker, what I love to do with people is sit down. If I had a whiteboard, we could you know, do this. And I'd draw a circle where someone is right now today and start mapping what is there, and we call it the ecosystem, what is your ecosystem? What is impacting you right now? If you are experiencing distress, you know, this could be financial, this could be relational. Quite often that relational aspect is really large. It could be work. It could be, you know, a whole variety of different things. And this is a tool that I use to support people in understanding that we are creatures of our environment. And our environment shows up in our day-to-day -day life. It will impact, you know, if we're having a really hard time at work, and if our work, you know, is, or the conditions of our work are not conducive to our mental well-being, then actually what we need to do is to look at that aspect of our life. If someone comes to me and they're experiencing homelessness, I don't need to talk to them about the distress of experiencing homelessness, but that person needs the fundamental human right of having access to shelter. And so while these are not mental health conditions, these are the social conditions that cause us mental distress. And we have a long way to go. You know, quite often we talk about our well-being as, you know, and I mean, this is really important as an individual pursuit and something that we need to um, take responsibility for and take care of ourselves. And I mean, I'm an advocate for that. I have a quite rigorous self-care routine, I would call it, to support myself so that I can function as a parent and as a partner and as a worker. But looking at our environment asks us to not just take care of ourselves, but also to take care of each other. And this, I suppose, is fertile ground
for looking at the social structures that are inequitable, that are unfair, that we can change. You know, and each one of you will probably point to one or, or many um, that you're interested in changing or developing, I suppose, to be more equitable. And for this afternoon, that's really where I'd like to, I suppose, point to and to leave this, that we're looking after ourselves while we're looking after one another in that beautiful symbiosis. So thank you. Thank you so much, Katie, for so clearly explaining the social determinants of mental health and really breaking that down and also the connection between not just self-determination but also looking after others. We know that being of service always improves our own mental health as well. If you found today's episode useful, remember to share an episode with a friend and follow Mind and Soul Matters on your preferred podcast platform and on social media. Look forward to your company next time on Mind and Soul Matters. Mm -hmm.